Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to the latest episode of Metric Theory's What's Your Theory podcast. We've got a very exciting uh, conversation today about the, the role of male privilege in the office. I've uh, got a number of different coworkers today who uh, all from the, well, not all from the SF office, but um, at one time, I think we were all in the SF office, so that's exciting. We're going to introduce <laughs> yeah. everyone. I'll start with myself. My name is Derek Martin. I'm a director uh, in our AMP team. It's our automation um, measurement and product uh, team. I've uh, been working here at Metric Theory for about three years. Um, and really excited to be here today. And I'll uh, pass it over to Jeff. Yeah, thanks, Derek. Um, yeah, so I am... Jeff Mortensen, a lot of you might know me. Um, I am on the social team. I'm a senior manager of account services. Uh, I've been with Metric Theory for about three years now. And my name is Riley Smith. I also work out of the San Francisco office. I've been with Metric Theory for just over two years now. Um, and I'm a senior account manager um, on the paid social team. And uh, my name is Noah Johnson, and I am an account director here at Metric Theory. Uh, I've been with the company for like 11 months now. Um, started back in December in San Francisco and uh, made the venture out to Colorado living the mountain life. So good to be here with you guys. Awesome. Well, we've got about three big questions today, and we'll just kind of go through them in sequential order. But just so everyone knows where we're going to be going, I'll kind of just run through those now. First question will be, what does male privilege mean to you? We'll then segue into how have you seen male privilege manifest in the workplace? And especially, have you ever seen that in client-facing situations? And then finally, we ask the question of what can we do uh, as men to support our female coworkers and create a safe and inclusive environment? And also, what is the role of men in dismantling sexism slash male privilege in the office? Um, all of us have a lot to say on the issue, but again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to defer to Jeff. Do you want to get us started here? Yeah, I'm happy to get started. So I guess to me, really, male privilege means that I have the luxury of going through my daily life feeling more of a sense of safety and security, you know, relative to someone who's non-male. So for example, you know, I have the privilege of generally being able to walk down the street and not have to worry about being harassed or catcalled or anything like that, you know. And then I have the privilege of being able to dress however I please and however I want and not have that being used as an excuse if I am to be, you know, sexually harassed or something. Sure. So that's not going to be used against me. I also have tons of other privileges, um, you know, in terms of how that like looks in the corporate, in corporate America. I think we see that men just generally don't have to worry about being treated less than their other male colleagues which is not the case for, you know, our non-male colleagues. An example of that being, and we're all aware of this, but the, the income uh, gap that exists in our country between men and women who work in similar roles. If you kind of dig into that a bit further, you can see a lot of that comes down to the gender roles in our society. So when a woman and a man choose to start a family, women are expected to do a lot of the, the raising of the children. So they're expected to kind of they work early to pick kids up from school or, you know, take time off to attend parent-teacher conferences, um, sporting events, things like that for their kids. And men just aren't really held to those same expectations. So what tends to happen is, um, you know, men stay in the office, continue to get promoted, continue to have all these opportunities while a lot of their female colleagues get left behind, you know, just given those, those gender roles. And it's not really that like the women that women aren't working as hard as men. I think they're working as hard as men, if not harder. 
but you know there's just that that weird preconceived notion or stigma that like oh this woman has a child she's not going to have time to really focus on her career so they're just not given those same opportunities yeah and even outside of that example like women without children or non-binary people without children face all kinds of stereotypes in the workplace that men just don't have to worry about so like you know if i'm having a bad day like i'm allowed to have a bad day and be upset whereas like if a woman is having a bad day and is upset that might be blamed on her gender yeah. so you know it's not having to worry about all those things it's just kind of eye-opening how much how much privilege i feel like i have in my everyday life and um, in the workplace as well no how about you yeah and to me it's it's such a loaded question because there are so many different directions you can take a question like this and the first thought that i had was it, it really went to the way that the world itself is structured mm. uh, and how it honestly it, the world has been built over time to make it easier and more accessible for men to have success or for men to succeed uh, on all kinds of different levels i mean looking back at at history just the foundations of society are, are built equal. for all men are created equal and i mean that statement is loaded enough and you can go into a million different conversations around that but i even the constitution of this country it's men even going back even farther like a lot of societies have always been patriarchies which the word in and of itself is a society built by men for them to succeed socially economically be in positions of political power it's it's so far reaching out. that it's yeah it's it's in so many places that just infiltrate society that you really don't think about it at least for me being completely honest that you know, diving into these questions, it made me even think about the everyday things that you experience that are really just designed for myself as a man to have an easier way to find success or have power or all these different aspects. And even getting a little bit more granular, I mean, voting, for example, women in the United States have only had the right to vote. We're in 2020, like we're going back to 1920, which is a hundred, which can sound like a lot of time, but that's literally like one and a half people ago, which is just mind boggling. It's really not that long ago. I mean, my grandma and grandpa were born in the 1910s, which I don't know how that dates me age-wise here at Metric Theory. But like my grandma, yeah, she was born into a world where she didn't have the right to decide who was going to be the leader of the country that she was born into. I mean, religion, uh, I can speak growing up in church, uh, growing up very conservative in church services, women, it was frowned upon them. And honestly, I, they weren't allowed to give sermons or be part of meditation or lead prayers or communion, things like that. Uh, holding, holding public office, the, the U.S. has obviously never seen a woman hold office for, for vice president or president. And we've finally started to see it become, I guess, more acceptable for women to be running for those positions in the past 15, 20 years here. And and by the way, like we're just talking about institutions right now. Like when I did some research on this, like trying to really understand it, going back and looking at like the last 50 years of just laws that have had to be created or amendments that have had to be put into place for laws in this country in the past 50 years, just to give women some semblance of equal rights outside of the right to vote, 
you know, going back to Roe v. Wade, which is still a massive topic today that we don't know where that's going to be in the next 10 years, like someone's right to have a say in what they do with their own body. Uh, even in the state that I'm in right now, Colorado, like something passed in, in 1973 to the, an, an amendment to the Colorado Constitution, like the equality of rights under the law shall not be denied by the state or any of its political subdivisions because of sex because of gender, like people are having to make these distinctions in law in such recent times. I mean, we all know what happened with RBG this year. I mean, the work that she did so a woman can have the right to apply for a mortgage or a credit card or a bank account without a man having to be there by her side to tell the institution that it was okay, like this person can be trusted. Just having rights with basic human dignity it's crazy. Uh, the Fair Housing Act in in the in the seventies, and just going down here, even in like the past ten years, like the Affordable Care Act, individuals can't be denied health care coverage because of their sex. It's crazy that we're still having to make these distinctions in a society that's built on freedom for everybody. But it's obvious that it's not for everybody to the fullest extent of what that statement was originally meant to mean. And we're in 2020 right now, like, even in 2020, the right to have equal pay based on gender hasn't even been realized. I mean, women are making on average 50 to 80% for doing the same job that their male counterparts have. So looking back at all this, it's, it's for me, it's more looking at society as a whole and how more or less every part of this society is built to make it easier for us as men to succeed and not have to go through the same hurdles or roadblocks just from a societal perspective. And it's amazing how overarching this is in the year 2020. Yeah, well, Riley, that's a, that's a tough act to follow. I gotta tell you, <laughs> no, thank you for, for that. Though that was very, very extensive and, and you're right. Those are a lot of different angles to it. So thank you for that. Yeah, and, and to be honest, you know, I, I think I completely agree with, with what Noel was saying there. I think, you know, it comes down to how society has really been formed over the years and, and how slow we've been to adopt change where it's needed. And I think what's what's really interesting is, is Noah, you know, kind of touched on the politics around it. And that, to me, I, I think is is where it really begins. You know, when we look at, at politics, that's where a lot of, you know, key decisions in every country are made, yes. But, but on top of that, I think we just look at politicians as leaders. You know, we look to them guidance in tough times. Uh, and, and when you look at the, the landscape across the world, not even just in our country right now, uh, the representation of women just in politics is is so skewed and there's just not equal representation there and I, I think what that does is, is it causes this trickle-down effect if you will to where you know things like you know treating women poorly uh, in society just get overlooked because of what we're seeing in the political realm predominantly we, we really view males as, as leaders when we're looking at just politics alone you know Noah said it there's never been a woman in the presidential or vice president uh, position in our country ever <laughs> like that's crazy and I, I think that really has an effect on the male perception in our society and I think it tri trickles down to a lot of the things that, that Jeff was pointing out that you know happen on a day-to-day -day basis that 
we as males really don't have to worry about just because of you know how, how society has has evolved and i think it's you know it's, it's really time for for a change there and i think you know we're seeing cases nowadays where we're slowly you know getting to a better position i think i look at this most recent crisis with covid and you look at a lot of the responses from different countries and you can really see the differences in leadership styles and, and i look at new zealand which was a country that I, I personally think has handled this situation the best. And the reason they've been able to do that is because of their leadership. Um, their prime minister, Jacinda Ardern, she's handled this really well. So she, you know, back in, in early March, she was really clear with her people around communication of the virus, how serious it was. And, and she just related it back to herself and, and, and making sure that she was taking proper precautions not to catch it. She closed borders very early uh, in, in March in New Zealand. And because of that, they, they really haven't had an issue with the coronavirus. I mean, they've had one case in the last three weeks. You compare that to our numbers, you know, that, that's pretty staggering. They, they don't have to socially distance. They don't have to wear masks because they've eradicated the disease in their country. And that's really all due to the leadership of, of Jacinda, who, who has been, you know, definitely a, a, a leader uh, in the country. And, and I think that just goes to show that the, the more honestly we can get women in politics, the better off this world's going to be. Um, we're already seeing cases like that. We look at Germany as well. Germany you know, has had a little bit of tougher time with the coronavirus, but still under great leadership, Angela Merkel. So I think this is, this is where we need to move to as a society. We need to get more representation from women in politics, and I think it will cause a little bit of a trickle-down effect, as you know, we all are are, are involved in politics, and, and you know, it affects us all. I think being able to see that representation at the highest level will will help to change some of the the perceptions around the gender gap between males and females. For sure. Well, a quote I always always liked is, uh, "Charity starts at home," right? So it's like I, I love how we've all noted how male privileges overall exist and what it means for us. You know, but I think the next place for us to go is to our second question, which is simply, how have you seen male privilege manifest in the workplace? And in particular, how have you seen it manifest in client-facing situations? Who would like to start us off here? I think that I have a little bit of a unique perspective. I, I know in, in this group and, and also at Metric Theory, because so many, you know, one thing that metric theory does really well is they take uh, a lot of new employees and the analyst uh, program and build them up internally. And a lot of people that I work with on the different account teams that I work on here have only worked at metric theory and only have the singular experience. And, and by the way, that's not to say that in the workplace, you know, metric theory is perfect by any means, but I think that I'm able to offer a little bit different perspective having worked at agencies and at companies that have a blatant disregard for the overall focus that they could be putting on making sure that men and women have equal opportunities and, and even equal rights in the workplace. Some of the things that I've seen just blow your mind just to, to start on a certain level, I've worked at corporations, I've worked at agencies, and in both of those settings, I've come on board as a, uh, an admin assistant when I started at the first marketing company straight out of college as a marketing manager. And I've seen 
incredibly intelligent, overqualified women being passed up for promotions or opportunities to be put in a leadership position because the owner or the VP or the manager is buddy buddy with some guy who is obviously underqualified, has no idea what he's doing. And that man is given the role for one reason or another, whether it's perception by the manager, perception by the client, what the agency owner is is scared of the client thinking, if they have a woman leading their account. And when you encounter those things, it's a massive shock because when I first came out of school, I thought that we were done with this. And, and obviously looking back on it, it's easy to see how naive of, of an assumption that was at the time. Sure. But experiencing it in the real world was just mind boggling that this person was incredibly qualified and they weren't given the same opportunities because of their gender. And there would be people that say it was for other reasons, but any logical person can look at that as a third party and obviously understand that it was because of gender. So, so you're saying you saw like rank sexism in terms of like people either getting promotions or not getting promotions. There was no ambiguity. One, 100%. And I think that the people in power at those places understood the optics and they were careful enough to ride that line, whatever the hell that looks like. But it was obvious that the reason that this person was passed up was because of their gender. And even going farther than that, we, you mentioned in the questioning client-facing situations, I've witnessed clients and agency leaders like make fun of a female on the team, of a woman on the account team to her face in a meeting. And when that happened, I was managing the search team at the time at this smaller agency that I came from. And I was sitting there on the Zoom call back before 2020, Zoom was kind of a new thing, I guess. And you hear the words come out of this client's mouth. I'm not going to go into detail and names, but you felt the air get sucked out of the room. And the client was clueless. Like he had gotten away with doing this and pulling these stunts every day and no one ever told him no. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting there looking at our agency owner, looking at this woman on my team and waiting for our agency owner, like the leader to say something. And he let out a little chuckle nothing happened. It was passed over. And after that call got off, he wasn't going to address anything. And I had to at least address what the heck had just happened on this call, because I think it was so out of left field that we were all taken aback. And his response was, well, it only happened one time. And it's a pretty big client for our small agency. I'll let him know it shouldn't happen again. And I'm talking with this woman afterwards, and she had the same reaction that I would have. Angry, sad, embarrassed, all of these things. And seeing how that kind of behavior was, one, tolerated in any way, shape, or form was mind-boggling to me, but tolerated specifically because the money was there with that client. Mm -hmm. It wouldn't be tolerated outside of that because other clients weren't paying as much. But seeing that money... And in that case, I think greed and a concern that we were going to lose revenue took precedent over someone's dignity. Mm. It was mind-boggling. And though a couple months down the road, like that client was not with us because one, as a leader, 
if the agency leader wasn't going to do anything, like I'm going to make sure that person never has the opportunity to say that again. And it's not a matter of money. It's like one strike and you're out. Because when you do that, you show your true colors. Even at MT, coming back to where we're all at right now, being in conversations with clients where, again, we have channel leads for social or search who are presenting these well thought out, clearly brilliantly designed campaign ideas and strategies. And the client looking back to me and saying, Noah, what do you think of that? And I'm sitting here like, dude, you just heard what she said. Like, it's, it's flawed. It's like, it, yeah, there's I mean, no holes in here. Right. So I think that those experiences are just proof that this kind of belief manifests itself in so many ways in the workplace from a male privilege perspective. Mm. And so overall, that, that's been my experience with it. Riley, how about you? Yeah, I mean, you know, Noah and I have pretty different backgrounds. I joined MT right out of college. So all of my experience in the workplace has been at MT. And thankfully, you know, I haven't really seen to the extent, you know, some of the situations that that Noah just walked through, which are pretty eye-opening and really take you aback. We do have a culture that helps eradicate those instances. I think where we as employees at metric theory will come across this most frequently is most likely in our client interactions like Noah was mentioning and it is a tough balance because at the end of the day you know the, the client is paying us you know how do you retain the client not lose them but then also you know make it apparent what is correct and what is not i think that that's a tougher line to figure out but it, it's our place as males to stand up against any discrimination we're seeing because it's not something that that's really comfortable for anybody. And, and the only way that it's ever going to get resolved is if somebody stands up and, and says something about it. But more importantly, I think looking back at metric theory and, and my experience so far, like I said, I, I think for the most part, we're definitely ahead of a, a lot of companies in this regards. I do still think there is room for improvement, though. I think the most glaring thing is when you look at our employee base, we have more female workers at our company than male workers, yet when you look at senior leadership, it's definitely more male dominated, right? All four of our founders are males. You know, I know last year we were lucky enough to have Fronte step into uh, a C-suite role, and that was the first woman we saw in a C-suite role here at Metric Theory, and I think that was a well-deserved promotion and, and a really good step for us to get female leadership and a female perspective at the senior leadership level. And I've also seen tremendous strides in, in just, you know, more generally speaking, I've seen a lot of our female employees step up in senior leadership roles, which has been really great. I know my own personal progression has really been fueled and, and I wouldn't be where I'm at without the, the tremendous women that work at Metric Theory. So, you know, I think we're getting there. I, I think we, we still have room to go in terms of you know getting that equal representation at the highest level of our company but that that's something that i think will come over time but with that said i think as a male taking this all into consideration at metric theory you know yes hopefully we don't have too many experiences where it's just blatant sexism occurring at our company or even in conversations with other clients but at the end of the day you know, sexism still exists in our society. And that's something that our female counterparts at Metric Theory still have to live with every day. And so it's just making sure that we support 
the talented women that work at metric theory as much as we can in any situation that may be a clear act of sexism. Definitely. How about, uh, Jeff, what do you think? Yeah, I think I agree a lot with what's been said. I think similar to Riley, unlike Noah, I have been working at metric theory since I graduated from college. So, you know, I don't, I don't have that perspective of being at other companies and seeing how this kind of dynamic differs from metric theory. And I also totally agree with Riley. You know, I think that we're ahead of a lot of companies in, in some ways here, but I think there's definitely a lot of room for improvement and we have a lot of work to do for sure. I think I can speak to a couple or at least one specific instance that I experienced with a client. Uh, I remember, I want to say a year ago or so, specific client that definitely exhibited some pretty blatant sexism toward one of my female colleagues on an account that I worked on. And in this specific example, current account lead, a male account lead was transitioning off of the account and I was kind of working on the account as a team AM. And then the uh, new account lead that was transitioning on was female. And just throughout the entire transition process, I just remember the client treating the new female account lead so horribly. He belittled her, talked down to her, and really did whatever he could, like honestly in his power, to undermine her and make her feel small. How so? Um, what, is, like, what does that actually look like? Yeah, some specific things that come to mind. I remember she would be walking through performance on a call. She would say something like, I'm really excited to see these trends. This is looking really good. Just, you know, generally being very positive. Yeah. And he'd say something like, don't say you're excited. It sounds unprofessional, you know, and it's kind of one of those very things like corrective. Yeah, very corrective and very just like talking down to her, like in a way that he'd never done before with the previous account lead. Uh. Um, and I'm almost positive that the previous account lead said probably the exact same thing on a call, like when we were looking at, because that's what you always say. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, like when performance is good, you're like, exciting to see that. <laughs> you know, I say that a lot on my client calls, so I don't think it's super unprofessional to say. You've never had a client tell you that it's unprofessional to say something. Exactly. And I think it just comes down to like behaviors, same behaviors being perceived differently depending on who's exhibiting those behaviors. Absolutely. Yeah, it just really illustrates that double standard with which women are judged, the way that they present themselves, the way that they speak, the way that they really just like every aspect of, the, of what they do in the workplace is, I think, judged to a higher degree than men are. Jeff, if I could, if I could just a ask you a question on this, okay, when yeah. you were in the moment and you observed these behaviors from the client, did you perceive it as sexism or was it kind of like, well, maybe it's something with her? Because I think some of the struggle with male privilege yeah. can be like, it's very difficult to identify when we're actually experiencing some of these behaviors in the wild without saying that it's almost like a personal or character trait or flaw from the person perceiving them. Yeah, I'm really, really thinking about that as well, because, yeah, like when, when that happened, my, my initial thought was like, wow, this is, this is sexism. But, you know, that thought also crossed my mind that like, okay, maybe, I mean, honestly, like she really didn't do anything to like, in my mind, set him off or give him a reason to belittle her in the way that he did. Right. I will say like she had been at the agency for less time, so maybe had a little bit less experience than the previous account lead, I don't think that made her unqualified to take on the role right. of leading that account. But maybe that's something that he also 
had in mind when the transition was taking place is he's just like, oh, I'm getting someone who's less experienced. So that could definitely play into that as well. But then again, I kind of get back to like, would he be putting her under such a microscope if she were a man? You know, right. like, would she be judged right. in the same way? Would he have treated her the same? Yeah. And I also remember wondering, like, in that time, like, when this was taking place, for a woman that's experiencing something like that, like, you know, on an account, a client is just being so horrible and, in my mind, blatantly sexist to her. What is, what do they do? <laughs> you know, like, if that, if that happens to them, like, it must be. You can't go to the client and say, stop treating me sex in a sexist way. <laughs> yeah. And, so. Yeah. You know, at the end of the day, like, our job is to keep our clients happy. So, like, I don't think the client would be happy if she confronted him about it. But at the same time, it's not okay. You know, do you do you go escalate that to upper management at metric theory? I would, I would imagine that would be, like, a really uncomfortable thing to do. Right. Yeah, to go to your manager yeah. and, like, really be vulnerable like that and say, like, hey, I'm experiencing something with this particular client. Right. It's not okay. Mm-hmm. And I want something to be done about it. Yeah, I mean, that, that's just got to be really, really hard to, to even say that. And I, and I imagine that a lot of, you know, women at MT or, you know, at other workplaces that are experiencing something like that just yeah. don't come forward because, of, you know, they, they don't want to be put in that vulnerable, uncomfortable position. Well, I feel like I have a little expertise as a person of color and having experienced things like this. So I don't want to get us off the topic, but it can feel as if, like, if you go to, the, to your superior and outline whatever aggressive behavior you're experiencing, that it's something like that you did wrong to the client and like this idea of like the client being right, needing to retain the client. And, and you know, I think there's also just an element that at least in my experience, like nobody really wants to take it to like race or gender like right away. So there must be another reason why. It can be very, um, very difficult to try to assert yourself and feel as if what you're saying is legitimate. And so I, again, I, I don't know what it means from the female perspective, and I wanna keep this on topic, but um, you were right when you mentioned that it, it feels like it would be difficult like, to try to make it a thing and, and live to see another day. So I, I do think that that's an experience that our, our female counterparts experience. And part of why I, didn't, I don't want to call you out, Jeff, but I think part of what is fascinating about this discussion is that as men, we kind of have to start cueing ourselves to be able to see this stuff in the wild. Because if not, it'll just be about something more reasonable. It's like, oh, look, maybe she just didn't prep enough. Or maybe like he just doesn't think that she's seasoned enough. But frankly, sometimes it might be because person in question is sexist. So I think it's uh, interesting when it happens, if we can catch it or at least have that as a theory at least. Yeah, like have that be, I mean, have it not just automatically your reaction be, oh, it's something they did wrong. Like right. consider these other circumstances and lenses that, you know, you could be, I guess, examining these situations with. But yeah, I'd imagine that that's very tough to navigate Mm, being someone in that position. Definitely. You know, part, I think part of what we're doing here and this discussion is really helping us all have is more empathy for people who are not exactly like us. And at least, if nothing else, be able to, you know, possibly hypothesize that maybe their experience might be a little bit different than ours. It's, I haven't spoke too much about what, I, what male privilege means to me because this is about you guys. But like, part of it is like, you're just, it's so subtle of like that you're, you're you're the default right like if we want to talk like talking about sports in the office is always like okay right? yeah. <laughs> there's a bunch of things where like you don't question it and when we see these kind of interaction differences if we're not aware of our privilege or at least the possibility of a privilege i think it's very difficult to feel as if like something wrong is happening it must be the person because he didn't treat me that way <laughs> so right 
Uh, what did you do wrong? And that that's inherently victim blaming, right? So for us to be better managers and better stewards in the in the workplace, having a little bit of a refined ear and, and vision for these 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 actions, you know, could be helpful. At least that's my idea. But does anyone else have any thoughts on this before we move on? I agree with everything that's been said here. I think you brought up an interesting point, Derek, around blaming the victim and, and looking for something that they might have done wrong and asking those questions because I think it's human nature to not want to go to those uncomfortable places. And human nature, I think for a lot of people to want to assume that people have the best intentions. And that makes it easy to dismiss the fact that it may be something deeper or more serious. And it, it's so absurd sometimes that those possibilities are just taken off the table because it makes people feel uncomfortable. I think, right. Jeff, you alluded to, well, he didn't like or they didn't treat me this way. So like, why are they treating you this way? But Derek, when you, when you were talking about victim blaming, I go back to the, I think, very well-known scenario of a woman who is harassed or worse and the first questions are what were you wearing right like were you asking for it right. like these absurd insane Why you report it that, right exactly like well it must be something that you did not yeah. that this other person is completely ignorant or just an ill-intentioned person or has been used to being able to say whatever they want to throughout their life or professional life without consequence mm -hmm. So yeah, it, it's just absurd to me. Uh, and again, it's human nature not to want to have difficult conversations, to not want to go past the surface level and to want to assume the best about people. But I think that something has to change on a, on a larger level to where it is more commonplace to not take anything off the table as sure. a default setting. I love that. I mean, on some level, at least entertaining that there might be something else going on beyond what we immediately see. What I'm going to share is kind of anecdotal, but there was a, a study that I saw or a story I heard where like you had a black woman in, in a, on a chat app, right? She's doing customer service. Like if you go to like Zendesk or, or something like that and her ratings were like three out of five and like people thought that she was doing like a really good job and they just could not understand like how is she getting these poor ratings? And so they literally changed her name in the, in the, in the, in the app. So it was like, you know, Stacy or something like that. And all she does the same exact job but her ratings go up because maybe people treat certain people differently, even when, it, especially when it comes to a customer service setting. When I first heard that story, I mean, it's like, it's like, come on, really, that can't be true, but maybe it is. And I think that's where and this kind of segues into the last question is like, what can we do as men to support our female coworkers and create a safe and inclusive environment? We had a follow up about what is the role of men in dismantling sexism and male privilege. I think we've stumbled on one of them, which is just awareness, but I will leave that to, I'll leave this question to you guys to determine how you want to answer. Yeah, well, I, I'll jump in here first. I, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. The first is awareness and specifically, you know, as a male in, in this role, we don't have to go through the injustices that, that females do. So we don't know, you know, how they feel. And so I think that that's really the first step is just listening to our female counterparts. Mm -hmm regarding the topic regarding the issue and it's not something that comes up in everyday conversation all the time but as you start to listen a little bit more you can really connect the dots and get a good understanding of of just the feeling that that is put on on women in, in certain 
circumstances. Like I think, you know, when we look at a, a lot of the um, injustices that have been kind of top of the news this year brought to the forefront, this is one that, you know, we, we really haven't seen too much of covered in the news. So it's not something that you can really stumble upon too much documentation just in the wild, like some of the, some other topics. But with that said, it, it, it's still an important one um, and just as important that, that we, you know, work to eradicate this issue as well as those others. Mm. And I think that the best way to do that is to first just get an understanding for, you know, exactly how people feel when, when, they're, when they're treated unfairly, really. And for me personally, I think that's been really helpful. You know, I, I'm very fortunate to have um, some close friends at Metric Theory that started in you know the same position as me in the analyst class that are that are you know females and, and over time just through interacting with them I've been able to to just get a little bit more insight into exactly how this plays out uh, in the workplace and I think it's really brought that awareness like you were mentioning Derek to my eyes around certain situations that it's just like you know now I can just immediately flag and be like whoa this is you know th- th- this just can't happen we can't have this and I think, you know, as males, we then have the opportunity to focusing on fostering a community around us in which we, we avoid those situations where, where sexism is, is at play. And I think one thing that I've been really happy with at Metric Theory has been the, like the kudos channel and, and how we're able to give praise to our other coworkers. And I think that's a great opportunity to see kind of more of a, an equal representation of male and female in the workplace. I think that's a place where like, I really love going through there and being like, wow, look at the great work this individual is doing. And, and I can understand exactly, you know, how talented all of our coworkers are. And it really kind of just tosses that, that gender element away and to the side. And, and you just get a good understanding of how everybody is, is doing in the workplace. This is a quick follow up on the Kudos channel. Do you feel like it reflects like the population of MT accurately? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I was kind of getting at this before in the last question, but I think MT does do a good job of, uh, you know, trying to eliminate sexism in the workplace. And I, I think that's a great place to do it. You know, Noah gave an example of um, a situation where, you know, one coworker was given a position over a female counterpart because of, you know, how buddy-buddy he was with uh, the person in charge there. And I think, you know, when you look at something like the Kudos channel, it really kind of puts that all to a side, right? Like it gives you the firepower you need to, to really advocate for those around you that are putting in strong work, again, regardless of gender. And so I, I think that's the big thing, you know, advocating for each other, regardless of any demographic, you know, that mm. there is. It's, it's just a matter of the performance you're putting in at work. Yeah, the work is what's gonna determine who gets kudos, not who, who does the work. Exactly. Cool. Jeff, do you want to add on to that or? Yeah, I guess first off, you know, I'll echo kind of like some of what was, what Riley was saying earlier about, you know, needing to kind of like listen to our female counterparts and really just get a better understanding of what they're going through and what they they experience on a day-to-day basis. You know, I have the awesome privilege of working on a team of entirely women and then myself. So that's also something where, you know, I feel like I've had I think it's been really good for me to kind of like, you know, go to team outings with them and like hear their perspectives on a lot of things that I've just honestly haven't considered or haven't noticed like things that they experience. Like what? Yeah. One example of something could be like, oh, you know, 
like if they see like other male coworkers kind of making all these like plans to like go golfing together, it can kind of like create that feeling of like of like, yeah, we've got the boys club over here, then we got like, you know, all the women kind of they're not invited to that sort of sort of dynamic going on. And there's so many other examples that I can't think of right now that was just like the first that really That's like that's a great one though. Because yeah. I, I think what you've just touched at is this, this when when male outings and male activities are the default, it's it's inherently exclusive of women. Like yeah. I, I think in our planning session, I had noted like when we were back when the office was a thing, if I go over to Noah because I'm bored and I just start talking about sports because that's what I just think he know, like we both understand that, right? It's comfortable. It's it, unless we're talking about something that other people know about, like it's kind of male dominated and that might what does that mean for our female counterparts who are sitting at that pod and like, well, I don't know anything about UFC, or I don't know anything about the NBA. Yeah. This is it's almost as if it's trying to keep me out. <laughs> they right. you mentioned it's almost as if they, you know, they really do feel that kind of thing. That, that's, a, that's, a, that's a real thing that they, that they struggle with. Yeah, totally. And I think what, I guess what I was kind of getting at also is like, we, it, it's just important to like be aware of those things and how those things can be perceived. Even if it's like, you know, I'm sure that people like men in our company that, plan these like golf trips together or like whatever that's not their intention is to like make anyone feel left out at all right. i'm sure you know but it's just kind of making sure that you are aware of those things and understand how that can be perceived and i guess being right. more nuanced of how you go about those things and making other people feel included making mm-hmm. making it feel like less of a, a boys club i guess right and i i guess this is kind of um you know taking a bit of a a bit of a pivot here but I mean, I, th- I think after we kind of like listen and start understanding what our female colleagues are going through, I think it's also just really important for us to start getting comfortable with being uncomfortable. You know, I, I actually honestly can't remember the last time I <laughs> sat down and had a conversation about male privilege specifically, like with other coworkers or friends. You know, it's a tough talk. You know, it, yeah. it is tough to talk about. <laughs> Yeah, especially because, you know, I am someone who benefits from male privilege, and I don't really necessarily feel great about that, obviously. So, yeah, it can be uncomfortable to talk about, but I think it's really important that we kind of get used to that and, like, sit in that discomfort and have those conversations more. I think that just the more that we can kind of shine a light on these issues and, like, bring them to the forefront, the more we're going to be having to confront that reality and the more that we'll actually all kind of consciously change our behavior. Because if you're not constantly making yourself aware of it, then you're just gonna forget and you're just gonna keep perpetuating those problems. Yeah. Um, the fault is around you, of course. If you don't act differently, it just benefits you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think having these, these sorts of conversations is super important and kind mm. of just making sure that people actually change. So, so I wanna note a couple of things and then we're getting close to the end here, but one was awareness. You know, as men, we can be just simply more aware that our female counterparts might be having a different experience and being interested in learning about that and observing that. that, that that's kind of like number one. Number two, it sounds as if, you know, being inclusive. You know, I mentioned, and I, I will take credit, I'll take credit and blame for being the only person who showed my male privilege in a real, real place here, and that's, that's okay. But, you know, if I go to Noah and I say, you know, talk sports, I might not mean that to be exclusive to female, to, to the women in the office, but can I go past that and be like, well, that's easy for me. I know we can connect on that, but maybe we could talk about something a little more open or at least make some efforts to be more inclusive. And that can be 
as simple as you know going to different people in the in, in the in our different pods but it's also about event planning it's about maybe it's about well, if we have different committees at work going out and making sure that it looks it reflects how many like you know, the, the the composition of the office so those are two big ideas that are resonating with me so far noah do you have anything you want to add to that yeah and wholeheartedly agree with everything that riley and jeff said and just realizing the irony that there are four men here talking about male privilege and how important it is to include the other um, half of this in conversations. And I think that the last large point that stands out to me is more along the lines of self-awareness and self-reflection. Mm. Because no one likes to think that they are contributing to this problem. I think at least people that are self-aware to a certain extent, you don't want to think that just because you have good intentions that you haven't impacted someone in some way around this issue or, or other issues, whether it's any number of things that we could talk about. But that's the, the big thing that stands out to me because it's human nature not to want to look in the mirror and see where you might fall short, whether it's intentionally or unintentionally. And I think that's huge. And the main thing that comes to mind is, is going back to what we've talked about in a lot of the DEI manager trainings about intent versus impact and really analyzing situations where you meant one thing and how that could be coming across in a, in a completely different way. As it relates to gender, after those conversations we had in those DEI trainings, my mind went to, well, I'm on a client call and one of my female coworkers explains something and I hop in to add clarity because I think that I understand what the client, how they kind of operate, what they want to hear. And I'm sitting there afterwards thinking, was that necessary? Did I just unintentionally diminish the value of what she said or even what this other person said? And I think being aware of those things and being able to go deep and really self-analyze yourself. Again, it's not easy. No one really likes to do that to certain extents like that. Sure. And then, and I think putting education into action, making a conscious decision on a day-to-day -day basis, on a minute-to-minute -minute basis to be self-aware. And that doesn't mean you're gonna be perfect, by the way, because no one is. But perfect. being able to, yeah, being able to practice that and more quickly identify when you could be contributing to right. the issue or being, able to correct that or being more willing to be aware and have a conversation around mm -hmm. that. And finally, I think that we've touched on this a little bit, but the more that people in all situations, not just when it comes to male privilege, but the more that people can understand that when someone feels something, you yeah. might not understand it at first, but they're feeling something and that's valid. Like whenever someone has a reaction, like, that's a valid reaction, whether you understand it or not. Exactly. And I think that goes back to the point of not leaving anything off the table in these situations, not assuming that what the person said, that they meant something good by it or it was innocent. They're feeling something, you have to listen to that. Mm. And that's how I, whenever I bring an issue to anyone, like, look, this happened, I'm feeling a certain way. No, like, right. let's, no, let's at least talk about, I want you to at least solidify that what I'm feeling is legitimate. And then you can start having a conversation from that point. 
I, I really love what you what you just mentioned there, Noah. Like this idea of validation, it, it's almost like a some ways like a currency in the office. Like I'm sure we've all seen it where someone has like a concern or they see they say that they've seen something, and immediately someone might say, "Well, that didn't, that's not what happened," or "That's not what really happened," or "You just you've got that wrong." And that that invalidation, I would imagine that some of our female counterparts might experience that more than we do. So starting with the validation mindset. I, that's that's big. I mean, as a as a manager myself, and just be part of you know our automation team. Like, I want to make sure that my female teammates feel like what they're saying is it's valid on its face, and that's not questionable. Whether it's like right or not, like we need to make some changes. That's another thing. But I think that initial like, well, we, we hear you. It's it's okay. Yeah, that that can be very very powerful for people. Cool. Well, I really appreciate all of you uh, participating in this today. I know we've we've all put a lot of effort in this. Jeff, in particular, thank you for all the outlining and planning work you did in the back end. It was very helpful to all of us. I really hope that this is something that will be powerful for all of our listeners. And I know it's going to be powerful for me as I go back to just day to day living, you know, as a as a as an employee at Metric Theory. So uh, thank you everyone for listening, and uh, check out next week's episode of uh, What's Your Theory.